What do you give your energy to? What do you fuel in your life? Or maybe I could ask the question this way. When you get to the end of a long day, and maybe you covered up in a blanket these days, or maybe you sit around a fire, or maybe you are exhausted, you know, where did your energy go in that day? Uh, I don't know about you, fire has always interested me. It's, it's sort of mesmerizing to watch, you know, and, and, and of course, it's, it's a chemical reaction, and it requires some things to be a part of it, you know, it requires oxygen and heat and fuel, and um, if those three things are stable, uh, you, you, a fire like this, especially in a house, a typical house fire, will double in size every minute, which is incredible and also might make you a little nervous right now in an open flame in a room like this. Don't worry, I've got Fireman Phil right over here who is ready should anything go wrong. Because, of course, the fire can be stopped, right? You can remove the oxygen by smothering it. You can remove the, the heat by absorbing it with water. You can remove the fuel by exhausting it. But the, the question I have as we think about your life is what are you fueling in your life? What are the uh, things that you're giving energy to these days? And I wonder if your faith is burning bright or is it burning out? Now, as you heard Jimmy read a moment ago in Acts 2, we're going to look uh, today as we continue in the book of Acts, this uh, incredible verse in verse 42 that just simply says that the early followers of Jesus devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's where their energy went. Now again, imagine the scene in the book of Acts. We, we've talked about it over the last few weeks. The, the Spirit of God has come and descended on the people like a flame, and they, they begin speaking the wonders of God in all these languages, you know, and it's this amazing event, and, and Peter steps up to, to preach to them and offer to them the, the good news of what's going on, and, and he offers them a fourfold response to the gospel. He talks about repentance and baptism and forgiveness and the Spirit's reception, and then Luke goes on to write about the early church and this kind of age of innocence for the early church as it gets started and is born. And, and he describes a fourfold devotion, the apostles' teaching they spent time with and energy on, and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayer. That's where their energies went. It's where they're, that's what they fueled with their life. And as the church formed around the, the fire of God's Spirit, they gave their energy to the apostles' teaching. So, just as Jesus taught his apostles, his disciples, the ways of God, so too they began to teach new Christians. And they fueled that, taught about Christ's resurrection, they taught about uh, the Old Testament scriptures, they taught about how God was reconciling the world to himself through them. They listened to Peter and Andrew and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew. Uh, the, the text says in verse 46, they met together in the temple courts every day to learn about how God is reconciling the world through Jesus. They even, uh, in verse 43, says this was accompanied by signs and wonders. The teaching was powerful. They were engaged. Are we engaged? Are we actively giving our energy to the study of, of the scriptures, the apostles' teaching? Uh, second, Luke tells us they gave energy to the fellowship. They fueled that in their life as well. 
Now, uh, the, the word that uh, Luke uses is the word koinonia. It's one of Paul's favorite words. Luke only uses it here in all of Luke and Acts. Uh, koinonia meant companionship or partnership. Paul, who made money by making tents in the commercial world, could have used the term for a business partnership, koinonia. He could have used it for a family relationship or even a religious experience, a, a companionship with God himself. But Paul uses it in all of those ways to describe sharing the life with the Messiah or sharing even resources with the Messiah's people. Again, Jimmy mentioned that a moment ago in verse uh, 44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common, and they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Is that what our church looks like? Are we investing in one another in deep and friendly ways, companionship ways? I see it from time to time, and I love it. I I, um, had a chance uh, last week to visit with uh, Ruth Barron, some of you know Ruth. She's been in a, um, a rehab facility for quite a while now, but she desperately wants to be here with all of you and hopes to be back soon. But, you know, um, so many of you, friends and family and others, have, have called and connected and invested in her, you know, and shared with her. And, and I thought I would go and I would be, you know, catching her up to date on news around the church and things like that. But it turns out she knows more about what's going on around here than I do. Koinonia, they gave their energy to that. They also gave their energy to the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread, they ate together. They ate together. Luke would go on to say more about that in verse 46 here at Acts 2. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. But even more than that, they did it in their worship as a part of their worship together. They celebrated the Lord's Supper together, breaking bread in that with the living Jesus. And I wonder, does our church look like that? Are we, are we a people who invest and who spend our energies eating together with joy and gladness of heart? It has been fun during our family dinners this month and, and for the next couple of months as we gather together in this room. It warms the heart, if nothing else, to hear people chatting and laughing and enjoying each other's company. And finally, it says, they gave their energy to prayer, to prayer. Uh, literally, the word is the prayers, plural. It seems that they gave their energy to the um, normal Jewish routine of community prayer. They'd gather together at 9 a.m. and noon and 3 o'clock every day. They would use common words for their prayers, oftentimes uh, the book of Psalms, the longest book in the Old Testament. They would utilize those words, which are ancient prayers, ancient songs. They would also uh, utilize perhaps what we call the Lord's Prayer as they prayed together, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I wonder, does that sound like us? Are we spending our energy engaging with God in prayer? Like they did, Acts 2.47 says... They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. When those first followers of Jesus got together and they, they, they caught the Spirit's flame, they, they ate and they talked and they prayed and they sang and they shared and they invited and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. More and more joined them around the fire. And man, I don't know about you, but that sounds thrilling to me. That sounds like a wonderful life. It's rich and a, a compelling life of passion and, and purpose and fulfillment and companionship and, and, and taking part in something bigger than ourselves and, and forging a legacy that we can pass on to others. I would love that, wouldn't you? As they sat around the fire, 
there was warmth. There was light. And not just a yellow flame, but a blue flame as well. I don't know if you've ever noticed in a candle, but if you look at the bottom of the flame, there's kind of a blue light there. And then as you go farther up the candle uh, flame, of course, it gets yellow. But, but that blue side is because it's fueled with more oxygen at the base. And I think about these followers. They, they, their, their lives were fueled with faith with that sort of blue intensity. They poured their energies into their faith. So how? How do you keep the flame so hot it draws people with your joy and gladness? How do we warm each other with selflessness and with sharing? Because the truth is the Christian life can be kind of long. And the world adds lots of things that we can add our energies to. So how do we intentionally live around the fire like they did? Now, I, I bet, I bet, I don't know, but I bet they felt, like, felt what we often feel today. There, there are so many energy drains in our world today. Have you felt that? Just your energy being drained by all kinds of things. I mean, goodness, we, we think about their lives. They, they ate together and they met every day and they, they, they prayed and all these things. How in the world did they do that? Didn't they have lots of work to do? Didn't they have relationship crises? Didn't they have family commitments and pandemic precautions? I don't know, but I do and I bet you do too. So maybe your faith feels smothered by, by all kinds of pressures that can drain our energy, like this one, like the pressure of efficiency, efficiency. We want to get things done, and we want to get things done fast. We don't want to do slow. Let me ask you, just kind of by show of hands, this is a confessional, you don't have to Raise your hand if you don't want to. But how many of you, in a perfect world, would like to lose a little bit of weight? Anybody? Okay. Okay. How many of you would be satisfied if you could lose whatever amount of weight you want to lose, but it took three to five years to do it? Would you be satisfied? Like, oh, that'd be okay. Okay. A couple? No. We want to be thin, and we want to be thin now. Efficient. Get it done. What's it going to take? A pill? I'll take it. We want to be efficient. We, we watch our news and weather while we're pumping gas. We pick our grocery line based on the number of items in the person's cart in front of us and our assessment of how well we think they can use the self-checkout machine. We want to win Wordle in two or three guesses, not six guesses. Efficient. We live in what George Ritzer calls the, the McDonaldization of society. And McDonald's, of course, became wildly successful all around the world, making hamburgers in the least amount of time with the least amount of money that taste essentially the same everywhere you go. And so one author, Alicia Fu uh, Song, I'm sorry, Felicia Wu Song says, um, we live in a world that so champions... McDonald's assembly line approach to food service that we unreflectively seek to replicate that in other areas of our society. You know this, sometimes in education, largely, not all the time, but largely, instead of treating students like individuals who need to learn, we treat them like customers that schools need to satisfy. And in church, we can we can seek to reach people with entertainment value that only keeps your commitment to Christianity in less than an hour a week. Efficient. 
But contrast that with Acts, with this early church. The book of Acts begins with Jesus commanding his disciples to wait. That's not efficient. Wait. Spend your energy on waiting, on listening to the apostles teach, on quieting yourselves to pray, on doing the slow, hard work of developing relationships with each other and trusting one another. That's not efficient. That's slow. But as Isaiah the prophet said so long ago, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll, be wa- they'll walk and not be faint. And I wonder for you, has your energy been smothered by pressures to be efficient? See, maybe we just need to be reminded about how to keep our faith burning bright. That's not the only energy drain, of course. There's, there are others. There's the, the pressure of uh, self-sufficiency. I think that's another thing that sort of drains our faith together. We pride ourselves on doing things ourselves. I mean, just finish some of these great American phrases. I bet you know them, you know. When the going gets tough, the tough get. Yeah. We pull ourselves up by our own. Yeah. We don't need no help from no. no. Really? Is that true? <laughs> I mean, with that sort of thinking, these actions from the early church seem like a lame cop-out, really. I mean, learning from the apostles, these, these fishermen, I don't know about that. Or accepting gifts as people sell property, property and give uh, and share with one another, I don't know about that. that. That just seems like a lazy man's way to avoid doing his own work, if you ask me. I, I think we need to pour our energy into doing and making ourselves succeed. But then you, you run into things like James chapter 4, and it makes us uncomfortable. You know, James says, you desire but do not have, so you kill. You, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And, and you hear it, right? You, you try everything in your power, even evil, horrible things, to make it work for yourself. But you, you just drain your energy for nothing, James says. Have you felt some smothered by the pressure to do it all on your own. Maybe we need to be reminded again about how to keep our faith burning bright. But then there's another energy drain, I think, especially in the church. It's what I'll call the the pressure of should and ought. I think we hear these things in the early church, you know, teaching and fellowship and the breaking of the bread and prayer, and we realize they're good things. These are wonderful things. We should do them. And so we spend a lot of energy talking about and thinking about what we should and what we ought to do, you know. Someone says they're having surgery this week, and we say, I'll pray for you. More as a way to get out of an awkward conversation about cancers and colons and all the rest than as an actual act that we will do for that person this week. But it's what we should say. Or... We invite someone over for dinner, not to enjoy their company or to grow in relationship with one another. We say, we really should have the Millers over. I mean, they had us over last week, right? It's only our duty. (laughs) Are you finding your faith kind of smothered by the pressures of should and ought, by guilt and duty? Have they poured cold water all over your faith? Maybe we need to be reminded again 
how our energy can be spent and how we can intentionally spend that energy so that we have an experience with Jesus as warm as the early church, the book of Acts. And in a phrase, I, I think what we see in Acts is their enduring dedication. I think that's the key. Think about verse 42 again, and you could translate it this way. It's a little pedantic, but you could, you could translate it. They de- devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and they devoted themselves to the fellowship, and they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, and they devoted themselves to the prayers. The, the term for devotion is proskartereo. It's the same word that Luke would use in verse 46 when he essentially or literally would say they devoted themselves to meeting in the temple every day. Proskartereo. Its basic meaning means to persevere. It's translating an Old Testament Hebrew word, chazak, uh, which means to, to pluck up your strength or, or to summon your strength. It means to stay at it or to stick with it, to, to give effort, to persist. It's an energy investment word. Kind of like firefighters, maybe the first firefighters. It wasn't all that long ago that we would put out house fires uh, like this. <laughs> the bucket brigades. If things go wrong with this, I might need you to do it this morning, okay, just so you know. You know, obviously you would take a bucket of water and you pass it to the person next to you and you on down the line you go until you dumped it onto the fire and try to smother the fire that way. And then someone invented... A fire hydrant. A fire hydrant. Water was always available. Persistent water was there to smother the fire. It just kept coming. And then the idea, you know, the idea was patented, but um, no one knows the original inventor of the fire hydrant uh, in America because, ironically, the patent was destroyed in a fire in the patent office in 1836. Nevertheless, we now have a method to keep houses standing, or at least to give them a good chance, a persistent, intense flow of water. And I I can't help but see these people in the early church, they persisted in life together. They endured in their dedication. Proskartereo. It's the word Luke would use in Acts 10 when he talks about a group of people who served Cornelius. They dedicated their energies into serving him. Or in Mark 3, it was a word used to describe a boat that was dedicated for the use of Jesus should he need to get into it. It's used here in Acts 2 to translate holding, you could translate holding fast to or clinging to. They clung to these things. They clung to the apostles' teaching. They held on. They persisted. They they clung to the fellowship. They clung to the breaking of bread. They just kept at it. And of course, to the prayers. Do you hear the energy in that word? Do you hear how they just kept their faith burning bright through persistence and devotion And enduring, they kept fueling the flame of their faith. How can we keep burning bright with our faith in this world we live in? Here it is. We have to dedicate our energy to living together and with Jesus. How do we persist through a pandemic? We dedicate our energy to living together and with Jesus. 
how do we devote ourselves? Every delightful day, every dreary day, we, we dedicate ourselves and our energy to living together and with Jesus. This is the fuel we need. See, the trouble is, I, I, I talk to so many folks who, who just feel like they're spiritually smoldering right now, you know? Prayers are dry, Bible reading is dry, COVID has put a dampening on fellowship together, eating meals together, you know, worship attendance, one week sort of blazes and one week sputters out, you know, and it's just hard, and I get it. Christianity in a day like today especially can feel at times as cold as the concluding days of January. So how do we stoke the fire? I don't know, when I stare off into the flames and dream, I see a church where people are reading and studying the scriptures, where we dig back into our Bibles, we persist to rediscover a God who still speaks through them, where uh, people uh, who f- feel the freedom to say one another, you know, listen, I, I, man, would you read through the book of Acts with me this month? I'd love to hear what you're learning. I'd love to, to, to understand it better. Would you read with me through that book? They dedicate to themselves and pour their energies to the scriptures. I, I dream of a church, when I, when I stare into the flame and I dream, I dream of a church where people are partnering together, where I hear people say, you know, even in our hallways, you know, I haven't heard from Sally in a while. Why don't we reach out to her, you and I? Why don't we bring her a meal on Friday? Where visitors are warmed by our welcome every week, where A person's passion for a local ministry spills over an invitation. You know, hey, I'm going to go and run copies for teachers on Thursday at Blackhawk. Would you come with me? Or hey, our our prayer group is going to go and serve at the First Step Women's Center on Saturday. Would you like to come? When I stare into the flame and and I dream, I see a church where people are joining around the table together. Hey, what are you doing for lunch tomorrow? I'd love to catch up. Hey, I've been having a terrible time with my toddler, <laughs> and you've raised some kids. Can, I, can, we do, can we have supper this week and you just help? <laughs> and of course, joining with brothers and sisters all over the world, both in this room and online and in spirit with churches everywhere, eating communion bread, drinking the cup together. When, when I stare into the flames and dream, I see a church where people are praying intently together. Not just because they should, but because they love God. Devoted to prayer. That's the phrase Paul would use in Romans 12. It's the same word, proskartereo. Where people are stopping each other in the hallways and they're talking about life. And when something's tough, they say, yeah, let's pray about it right now. Or when people share a surprise of God in their life and they they share a hallelujah together and and enjoy the presence of God. When someone says, listen, I am struggling to pray. Could, Could I just call you at... 8 o'clock on Tuesday. Could we just pray over the phone? I guess when I stare into the flames and dream, I I see a church that persists, a dedicated church family, a, a family that burns hot because they pour their energy into the kingdom of God. Do you see it, though? Do you see it? Because Acts says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, the breaking of bread and to prayer. They did. But will we keep at it? Will we rededicate ourselves? Will we persist? Will we burn? Uh, Father, we pray together that we'd be a people just like that. 
Lord, even as I'm putting out the flames this morning, I pray that your flame of your spirit would never depart. It would burn bright in our lives, Father. It would burn bright in our church family. God, you are gracious to us and you are delightful. And we pray in Jesus' name that we would be the kind of community that stokes the the, the fire of our faith and sees our community change because of it. We're thankful in Jesus' name. Amen.